This morning's scripture. Romans, the 14th chapter, verses 13 through 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know that I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we we thank you for just the opportunity to gather together as your people this morning. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and minds, that he would illuminate your words that you gave to Paul so many years ago, and they would be seared into us, Lord, in a way that would change our outlook, that would change our actions as we live our lives as Christians, Father. And Lord, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So we are looking again this morning at these final few verses in chapter 14. With the end of 14, we are down to two chapters remaining in the book of Romans. I want to get through chapter 14 because in the next two weeks we'll be taking a break from Romans. We will celebrate um, Palm Sunday. My brain just quit. Palm Sunday next Sunday and then of course Easter Sunday on Easter Sunday. And then we'll get back to Romans after that, picking it up with the the 15th chapter. So we find ourselves in the midst of Paul's exhortations to us as Christians. And this is basically what chapter 14 or who chapter 14 is dealing with. And and he's trying to teach us how to interact and and deal with each other in the church setting, in the day-to-day setting, whatever the case may be. And we find ourselves being exhorted by Paul to demonstrate true love toward each other and what true love actually looks like. We're to demonstrate true love by not letting those non-essential things come between us or cause strife in the church or do damage to someone else's faith or their relationship with God. And we also show this love to each other by not allowing our liberty as Christians to become a stumbling block to other Christians. 
And we talked about that last week, and we're going to continue to talk about it this week, but there were some things that I wanted to go back over before we moved on to the final part of this passage this week. In verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Now, he makes an assertion here that he knows that nothing is unclean, and he is persuaded that nothing is unclean. Now, essentially, he's talking about food and drink, all right? That, that was the topic that was of being discussed in chapter 14. It was also dealing with days of the week, if you remember, which day is holy being the Sabbath. But, but he's saying, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean. Now, I'm quite certain that Paul had problems with this notion at some point in his walk with Christ. Paul was a devout Jew, and he observed all the dietary restrictions to a T being a devout Jew. So whenever he first learned that you can eat bacon, I'm quite sure he's like, mmm, I don't know about that. Don't know that I should be doing that. But at this point in time in his walk, he knew and was absolutely persuaded, was convinced that he could eat bacon. Praise God for the ability to eat bacon, right? Man, those poor Jewish folks that lived prior to this. No bacon for them. So he's persuaded. How was he persuaded? In the Lord Jesus. It's exactly right. So he was persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ is a beautiful illustration of God's grace. And the liberty that Christ Jesus gives us. Dietary restrictions were a part of the law that Christ fulfilled, and now we eat bacon. If you guys didn't know, I like bacon. Just throwing that out there. But I will tell you that dietary restrictions are a part of a lot of different types of religions that are out there. The Muslims practice dietary restrictions. I'm going to fumble that word this morning too. The Hindus, right, you see cows being worshipped, we can't, we can't eat cows. Um, the Jews practice that. But then along comes Christ, and it is through his grace, and that, that's part of the, the beauty of his grace, we're not saved by what we eat or don't eat, and that's the beauty of it all. And that was the point that was being made in and through Christ Jesus by the grace of God, is it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink, none of that stuff's going to save you. It is only faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross that will save you. So you recall Peter when he had the vision in Acts and he saw the sheep coming down. There were all kinds of unclean animals on there. And he's like, no, Lord, far be it from me to partake of those animals. Those are unclean. And God told him straight up, look, everything that I provide is permissible to be eaten. So it was by God's grace through Jesus Christ that Paul was convinced and absolutely knew that he could eat all things and that they were that none of them were considered unclean. 
But here we have a situation. He says something very interesting. Nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Anyone find that a little awkward, a little difficult to to comprehend? Because it's God that makes the law, right? And so here we have a situation where someone says, or Paul's saying, it's unclean if you think it's unclean. It's unclean if you think it's unclean. So let's try to understand and, and, and break down what Paul is saying here. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of a Jew at that period of time. As I said, from the time you were, you were born, you were brought up with very strict dietary restrictions. You couldn't eat pork. There were a lot of things that you couldn't partake of on certain days, and you could only drink kosher wine. I have no idea of what kosher wine is. Anybody heard of kosher wine? I had neither, but it had to be kosher wine was all you could drink. And you were taught, and rightly so, that the Gentiles who ate bacon and drank wine that was not kosher were sinning in so doing. That they were not, they were not glorifying God by doing that. They were doing something that was against God's commands. And they would have been right because that was a command that God had. And so you're taught from a very early age, no, you can't do this, that is sinful. And so in their minds, they always see the Gentiles sinning because they're eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols. They're drinking the wrong types of wine and sometimes even boasting about doing it in front of the Jews. So everything that went into these Gentiles eating and drinking was sinful in their minds and hearts. And then along comes Jesus. And they are then suddenly taught that actually there's nothing that's unclean. Actually, everything's good. But because they had been brought up in this type of environment, they had real problems associating eating what they deemed to be unclean and glorifying God. Because their entire lives were filled with this idea and notion that eating these things and drinking these things was just the opposite of glorifying God. So they, they reach a point where they understand and accept they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus and that faith alone, that these dietary restrictions do not save them. They, they, they get that point. But the one thing they can't be okay with is just sort of a, a bridge too far, so to speak, is this notion that now you can eat and drink anything you want to. Like, no, I'm sorry. I can't go there. I've seen too many bad things from Gentiles that did this. So they, 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 they couldn't bring themselves to agree that it was okay, even though Christ said all things are clean. In fact, in Matthew 15, 10, Jesus said, and he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So what you eat isn't have any type of correlation on the condition of your heart. And that was the point that 
that Christ was trying to make. But here they are, they're believing in Christ and they just, they just can't bring themselves to accept this notion that they can eat bacon and drink any type of wine that they want to drink. They, they just cannot do that. So in their own minds, they believed that they were glorifying God by abstaining, by not partaking of unclean meat, meat sacrificed to idols, or wine that was not kosher. Remember, I had a statement last week about it, my teetotaling friends, right? And I, and I said, and I've said it before, that I don't think there's anything biblically wrong with having a drink of alcohol. Now, if you drink too much, absolutely sinful. Should not do that, all right? But having a drink of alcohol, there is nothing biblically that's wrong with that. But a lot of my teetotaler friends disagree with me, and that's fine. But a lot of them have seen the ill effects that alcohol can have and the dangers involved therein. It can have devastating effects on families, on people's health, you name it. So even though they may acknowledge, yes, I too agree that it's fine if you want to have a drink, but because of what they have been subjected to throughout their lives, maybe being raised by an alcoholic or they themselves have alcohol problems, I'm not going to do it, right? I'm not going to do it. That has been associated with sin all of my life. Now, all of a sudden, I'm told that I can, but I don't see how me doing that is going to be glorifying God. So in my heart, it's unclean, always will be unclean. That's where I think Paul's going whenever he says, if it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean, then it's unclean. If you have that conviction that it's unclean, then it is unclean. And it does not glorify God in your heart, then you're not glorifying God by doing it. Verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. It's a pretty eye-opening passage. So if your brother and sister in Christ is grieved by what you eat, let's take it a step further. Grieved by anything you do. If he or she is grieved by anything you do, you're not walking in love. And we see here the word love, and we have this theme that began in chapter 13 and is just running through 13 as well as 14. It is the underpinning for all of Paul's exhortations throughout chapter 13 and chapter 14. He says we're not loving our brothers and sisters if we take the liberty that Christ gives us and rubs it in their face. It would be like me going to eat with a teetotaler friend of mine and setting whatever alcohol drink I wanted to set and said, see, God gives me the freedom to do this. That's problematic, right? That's not love. That's not showing my brother or sister in Christ any sort of love. It is taking the inherent freedom that God has given me and being selfish with it. 
being selfish with it. If we have the mentality that, that I'm free and I'm going to do whatever I want regardless of anybody else, we're not walking in love, we're walking in selfishness. As a matter of fact, we're probably walking in sinfulness. We know that love is the most important fruit of any spirit. Or any time the Spirit of God is mentioned, that love is the most important fruit. Even in Corinthians, where Paul goes to great lengths to talk about all the spiritual gifts, and he says, they're worthless if you don't have love. If you don't love, every spiritual gift that God gives you is worthless. So we look at the second half of verse 15. And it's a rather interesting passage as well. By what you eat, do not destroy the one from whom Christ died. It's a rather sobering admonition, is it not? It's a rather sobering admonition. After all, you're just eating for yourself. How is what you're going to do destroy someone that Christ died for? Paul tells us and warns us not to do that, not to allow that to happen. So there clearly is a possibility that we may destroy someone by what we're eating. How does that work? How does that work? Let us go back to the person that had witnessed the horrors of alcoholism in their family or in their life some way. And then they become Christian and they become saved and they are anti-alcohol at all costs. Serious problems with that because everything that they've witnessed and seen their entire lives revolves around sinfulness of alcohol and all the damage and hurt and pain that the abuse of it causes. And then they see me, they see one of you, one that they look up to partaking of alcohol. It does damage to their walk because of everything that they're equating it to. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that's what's going on in their minds because they see the drink that's being used, the same type of drink that was used by whatever alcoholic was in that family that caused so much damage, and that creates a problem. And it is very possible that they walk away. You're no different than whoever else it was in their mind and heart. And so they walk away, and what ultimately happens? Destruction. Destruction. Last week we talked a lot about the corporate reality of a church and how we're not just a a group of individuals walking our own walk, but we are a corporate group of people that's pulling for each other, that's working hard for each other, that's going to make sure that we all make it to the end. And that's what the church is all about. Hopefully I'm not walking this walk on my own. I know that I'm not. That we're all together helping pull each other. And in so doing, we need to be able to look out for each other because there's the risk that we do something that causes the destruction of someone else. That at the end of all this, they don't make it. At the end of all this, they walk away. They prove that they never really were truly Christ to begin with. But that proof, I don't want to be on my hands. 
It's what Paul's encouraging us not to do. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And these are very eye-opening words. So here we are, just thinking we're eating and drinking and having a good time, and we're destroying someone that Christ died for, right? He suffered, he was spat upon, he was abused in every way possible, he went to the cross for that person, and we can't be selfless enough not to watch what we eat or drink, so as not to cause them to be destroyed and never make it to the end. I hope that's eye-opening for you all because it clearly was eye-opening for me. We are comparing what we are eating and drinking with what Christ did and basically nullifying that by what we portray to weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. So he says at the very least we can do is refrain from doing what might cause others to walk away Paul asks us to avoid this situation at all costs Paul never wanted to damage anyone's faith and that's why he said I have become everything to all people or I've become all things to all people in order that they may be saved He didn't want to disqualify anybody based upon his actions. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 1, when he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain, he said, for my sake, it's better for me to die. Because if I die, I know where I'm going, and it's going to be much greater than everything else. But I choose to live for you all so that I can help in in this church of pulling and tugging and helping everybody else get across the finish line. And it was to their benefit that he stayed and taught. Verse 17. Exactly the same theme. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So Paul says the kingdom of God, which should be our number one concern at all times, is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Spirit. So he's saying the kingdom of God and those of us that are a part of the kingdom of God on earth and will be eternally a part of the kingdom of God in the next life, the most important things for us should be righteousness, peace, and joy. Not wallowing in our liberty just because we can. He doesn't, God didn't give us liberty to just abuse that liberty at the risk of hurting someone else in the faith or turning them away, so to speak. We should demonstrate ourselves to be more focused on others and not so focused on ourselves. It's, it's a selfless mentality and one that comes from the heart that what the kingdom of God is all about. If all we think about is ourselves and, and what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, then we are not thinking about others and we're not loving in the way that God asks us to love and in the way we've seen here in Romans 13 and 14. Notice Paul makes reference to the 
the two of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, peace and joy. That we should focus on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Spirit. Does it say of the Spirit? Peace and joy do flow of the Spirit, but we're to seek after peace and joy in the Spirit. I mean, the Spirit gives us peace and joy as opposed to eating and drinking. Eating and drinking should not be the source of our peace and joy. The Holy Spirit should be the source of our peace and joy. And whenever we have this mentality, I'm going to do what I want to do, we are not satisfied with what the Holy Spirit has to offer. We're only satisfied with what I can get out of this life. It's a big difference. And those that are only satisfied with what I can get for me out of this life likely don't have the Holy Spirit anyway. But he says, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, so let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. To build each other up, to see to it that we all get across that finish line. Verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Again, an extremely eye-opening passage to think that we could destroy what God did by merely eating bacon and drinking wine. Paul clearly gives us that warning. Do not destroy, for the sake of food, what God did has done the grace of God gives us great freedoms the grace of God gives us great liberty but sometimes it's better that we ourselves not exercise those freedoms and not exercise those liberties because of the damage that can come from the exercise of those freedoms and of those liberties. It's a lot like the country, right? Yeah, we're free, but sometimes it's better off if we just kind of suck it up because of the greater damage that we can cause if we just decide we're going to um, do those liberties regardless of what the cost may be. Because sometimes in those liberties and freedoms that, that God gives us, we may cause a brother to stumble. And that's not worth it. I swear in basically every county official that's in in White County after every election. And and sometimes I have conversations with them beforehand and, and, and talk about the power that they've been entrusted with. And I will always tell them the greatest exercise of power, greatest exercise of power is to never exercise it. That's, that's the beauty of it all. The greatest exercise of power is to never exercise it because of the danger that can come whenever you have to do or have to exercise that power to the extent that you can. It's the same way with Christian liberty. We've been given a great deal of liberty, but the beauty in it is exercise it sparingly because of the danger that is involved in turning someone else away from Christ or causing your brother or sister to stumble. And we saw, we don't want to do away 
with what God's done for them. And he has. He did it for absolutely everyone. So just be careful as we do that. And I'm not telling you never to exercise that. Don't enjoy the freedoms that you've been given, but also always be mindful of the repercussions that can come whenever you don't take into consideration your brothers and sisters in Christ. It is good not to eat meat or drink or wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So, again, verse 22, this isn't that we are not to share Christ. It's not it at all. He's talking, and here he's talking to those who have greater faith, those that realize their Christian liberty, that know that they can eat bacon and drink wine, and that's all fine. He's saying, keep that faith to yourself, because what's going to happen is if you brag about it or if you tell them, well, if you had more faith, you'd understand that you wouldn't have to refrain or abstain from drinking that wine or eating that bacon. That's only going to do damage to them. Don't flaunt your faith no matter what level you are on with Christ. And that's what Paul's asking us not to do. Keep the degree or level or strength of our faith between us and God. Don't let pride come in because it can, right? You see somebody that says, no, I'm Christian, I don't drink. Your instinct is, oh yeah, you can. But he's saying, no, be gentle. Don't do anything that would cause them to stumble. So part B of this verse, the second sentence, can can easily be read over and overlooked. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So this statement can be a little difficult to digest. Maybe not make a lot of sense as you just read it on the surface. But if you put it in the proper context, hopefully we'll be able to understand it. Now, it's important to know that we can pass judgment on a, on a variety of different ways, right? I can smell bacon cooking, and I can pass judgment that that's good. That's good. I can smell salmon patties cooking, and I can pass judgment on, that's bad. That's bad. So we can pass judgment in a variety of different ways, but we can say, one thing's good, one thing's bad. So we think of passing judgment usually on saying, that's bad. But no, we pass judgment on things that we say, that's good, because that's part of what we do. That's how we judge things in our lives. And so here he's saying, the faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God, and blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed is the man or woman who don't pat themselves on the back for knowing that there's nothing unclean. You follow me? Blessed is the one who says, that does not say, my faith is so great and I'm so spiritual, I can eat anything I want. Because what comes from that is nothing but pride. Don't spend the time thinking about how great your faith is and how less others faith may be so even though you may have greater faith don't spend the time saying yeah 
you're right, you're so smart, you're so in tune with God because you know that everything's open to eat and everything's open to drink. Don't do that. And Paul said, blessed is the one who does not do that. Don't flaunt your faith, which also goes with the beginning of verse 22. Don't flaunt your faith and make yourself seem higher than anyone else or more important or more godly or more holy or whatever the case may be. There is a danger of pride within that. But whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So Paul makes an interesting point here in verse 23. If someone doubts their stance or position on, we'll use it, I've used it all morning, eating bacon, right? If you doubt that, don't do it. Why? Why? And it it actually makes sense. And the point is of what he's saying makes sense. Everything that we do should be done to glorify God, whether we eat or drink or whatever the case may be. And if we have doubts that what we're doing is glorifying God or what we're doing is not approved by God, then we shouldn't be doing it because we're violating our conscience and, in effect, not being obedient to God, right? If I believe in my heart that I should not eat that bacon, then don't eat that bacon. Or if I doubt whether or not I should eat that bacon, then don't eat that bacon. If I truly believe and I'm convinced in my heart that eating bacon glorifies God because he made it and it's real good, eat it! Right? So I hope you can see how this works out here. So whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And that's a very important statement. You hear it probably taken out of context a lot, but it will work in a lot everything in your life because either you're doing something out of faith or you're doing something for an alternative reason or desire whether it be your own pride your own selfishness whatever the case may be and whatever you're doing out of some alternative reason is sinful because you're not glorifying God in that process so keep that in mind as you go through whatever action it is in life and it will apply to everything Everything that we do should come from our faith and a conviction that we're doing it right and we're doing it for God's glory. Everything. Now, we don't because we're sinners. And we still have that old man that's strapped to our back that pulls us into sin from time to time. That one that we fight every day. But from God's perspective, everything that we do should be and come from faith and thereby be glorifying to him. If we doubt it, Same thing that Paul's telling them here. Don't do it. Because whenever you doubt it, in reality, you're saying it's not glorifying God. So if you don't think you should drink, don't do it. If you doubt whether you should drink, don't do it. Because if you do, you're not going to be glorifying God whenever you do it. Now, there are times whenever we believe one way and we we walk our Christian walk and and we're convinced through God's word and whatever the situation may be that, yeah, this is okay and this is right. You've changed your position. Fine. Not what we're talking about here. What Paul's talking about is a position that don't think that I should do it, don't think that it's glorifying God, then don't do it. 
Otherwise, you think that it's a gift from God, that he's given you something that is wonderful and you can enjoy, then do it. Because in both instances, by abstaining, you're glorifying him, and by partaking, you're glorifying him. And that's the most important. Don't do anything, though, that would make our brothers and sisters in Christ stumble. So as I close, two points. Regardless of the strength and the degree of our faith, don't do anything to make others feel insecure. Don't do anything or say anything to make others feel like they're less Christian than what we are. That, that's a horrible situation, and it's a bad place for people to be. We're to uplift each other. We're to build each other up. We're to you know, make sure that we all make it across that finish line, not reject others or make them feel like they're less godly than we are. And then finally, don't ever do anything that results in you, you violating your heartfelt belief in what God wants you to do. Because if and when you do that, it's not coming from faith. It's coming from an outside source that will result in sinfulness. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for this passage and, and basically all of this chapter 14 on love and what it really means to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we, we glorify you, and in so doing, we just come together as one, as a corporate church, and we help each other along, we lift each other up, we build up each other, and we make sure or help enable everybody to make it to the end, to get to that finish line, Lord. We pray, Father, that it is this church's goal and individual goals within this church that we never do anything to cause someone to stumble, that we never do anything to cause someone to walk away from the grace that you have given to us and to them and to demean what Christ did for each one of us on the cross, Father. Lord, we just pray that you put these words in our hearts and minds and may we use them to fashion our walk with you. And may you be glorified through it, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.